This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Good evening, Elevate. It is a pleasure to be here with you. And I have to say that I have enjoyed preparing for tonight. And enjoyment also meant uh, a lot of of work and studying people smarter than me. Open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. It's way in the back if this is one of your first times with us. If you find James, you've gone too far. Just go a little to the left. Hebrews. We're going to start towards the end of the fifth chapter tonight. If I was to sum up tonight's message, it would be something like this. There is no salvation in our old lifestyles. Not only are our old lifestyles holding us back from maturity, but to return back to who we used to be would be disastrous. We have to divorce our old ways of living. And we have to fully surrender and commit to Jesus Christ. Tonight, our author is going to grab all of us by the shoulders a little bit and get in our faces and accuse us of being unacceptably immature. And then he's going to bring us to a fork in the road and he's going to say, that we can't stay where we are. We have to make a decision to go back to who we used to be or to fully commit to Christ. And finally, he's going to say that we're going to know Christians by their fruit and by their endurance. Let me set the stage a little bit for you. Up until this point, our author has been very, very intentional, showing that Jesus is superior to every other way that in the past that people can know God. He's superior to the angels who delivered messages from God. He's superior to the prophets that spoke God's words. And he's even superior to the priesthood, namely even the high priest, the one that stood in God's presence. And it's right here in this conversation of Jesus being superior to the high priest whose genealogy came from Aaron, Moses' brother. And Jesus' high priesthood comes from the order of this guy named Melchizedek that our author does a full stop. He pulls the car over. He's like, and pulls it over, and he's like, wait a minute. Before we go any further, we need to clear some things up. Before we dive any deeper into the truths that I'm unpacking, we need to make sure we're on the same page. And that's what we're picking up tonight. Now, as a brief recap, in Hebrews chapter 4, this would have been three weeks ago, Hebrews chapter 4, it is reminding us of a story from Exodus and Numbers. Moses was leading Israel out of Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, leads them through the wilderness, and God brings them to the other side of the Jordan River from the land that he had promised. And on the other side of the Jordan River is this lush, beautiful land. And they send 12 spies into the land, and the spies come back with these enormous grapes. 
and they report that the land is flowing with milk and honey. It is a sweet land. It is an abundant land. It is beautiful. All of God's promises are being realized. They're right there on the other side of the Jordan River. But the people that live in the land are scary people. And all of Israel, except for Joshua and Caleb, get scared. And they're looking at the blessings of God and they're saying, God, we don't believe you. The wilderness is way more comfortable than having to go and face the enemies. Even going back to slavery in Egypt is more ideal than to cross the river into your promised land. We're turning back. And so they decide that they're going to stone Moses, elect a new leader, and head back out away from God's blessings. And it's at this point that God says, fine, I'm done with you. Not only will I give you exactly what you want, I'll send you back into the wilderness where you want to go, but I'm closing the door. You've hardened your hearts towards me, and so the door is now closed, and you will wander in the wilderness, your little place of safety. You can go back to where you want to be, but you're going to wander there for the next 40 years until everyone of this generation dies in the dirt, and it will be your children that I will bring over the river, and I will give them the blessings that I promised to you and to your family. Now, with that story in mind, that's where we're picking up tonight. And you have to hold on to that because our author is going to grab that story and he's going to bring it into the present for these people and say, God is bringing you to a line. And you're looking over the other side and there's blessings over there, but you're going to have to be willing to let go of your old lifestyle. So let's pick up. Let's jump in at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And the first thing that he's going to point out is that they are unacceptably immature. Verse 11, about this we have much to say. What's this? If you look back, he's talking about this priesthood in, in verse 9 and 10, about Jesus is superior, and Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And everyone goes, what? Who's that? Why is that important? And the author says, Ert, stop. About this... We have much more to say, and it's hard to explain. Oh, really? Is it hard to explain because it's complex? Is it hard to explain because the author doesn't know how to unpack it? Let's see. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. No, it's hard to explain because you are immature. Ouch. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, in my house, the, probably the most common phrase is choking hazard. Everything's a choking hazard. Small Legos are choking hazards. Bits of food that are too big are choking hazards. Their strings hanging off the couch are choking hazards. Why? Because for the last six years, we've always had a tiny crawling child. And what does that tiny crawling child do? 
They put everything in their mouth. And that child is so tiny that anything more than the milk that belongs to them from mama, anything but milk, they don't know how to chew. They don't know how to digest. It would choke them. And so we have to be so careful right now in this season of our lives. And our author here is saying that you are such baby Christians. You're so immature that you can't even handle anything past milk, except you've been a Christian for so long, you should be way past milk by now. Now, what would happen if my tiny crawler lived on only milk until he or she was four or five, six? They would be undernourished. They'd be underdeveloped. There's nutrients and vitamins and things and food that you eat that they absolutely have to have to grow and strengthen they can't live on milk forever. And so what is, what is this author writing? They're saying, you've been Christians for far too long to still be on milk. Something's wrong. You're not maturing. You should be on meat by now. You should be teaching by now. And you don't have to show me your hands, but I think it'd be pretty convicting to most of us in this room. If I was to say, you've been a Christian now for several years, maybe many years, how many of you are intentionally discipling somebody else? How many of you are going out of your way to teach God's word or to teach about Christ to another? I think most of us would be pretty convicted. So let's go ahead and say that this challenge is on all of us. We should be teaching if we've been in the faith for any real length of time. So what is going on? What has gone wrong in this maturing process? Let's keep going into into chapter six, verse one. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine, doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. To understand this, we have to see that word in the verse one, leave. Let us leave the elementary doctrines. This word leave specifically means to abandon, to divorce, to leave behind, to get rid of something totally and completely. We're shedding it. We're breaking off from it. We're leaving it behind. And what we have here is we have six different descriptions that on the surface look like they might relate to Christian doctrines. But what's going on is that all of these are actually Jewish practices. They're practices related to the sacrificial system where they would believe that God would redeem them from their sins because of killing animals. But Jesus has come. That is fulfilled. It's done They don't need to sacrifice animals. They don't have to go to the temple. There doesn't have to be a mediator that goes into the presence of God. The presence of God has been open to all believers. Jesus has died once and for all to save us from our sins. Imagine you're planning a birthday party for a friend. And tonight, 5 p.m., the party is starting. And your job is to blow up balloons for the party. And being a good friend, you want to make sure there are balloon arches, there's balloons on every table. When you walk in, you want to kick balloons. Like, this is going to be ballooned out. So you start blowing up balloons all day. Hours go by. Five o'clock comes, and you're like, nope, more balloons. 
And people are in the party having fun, and you're like blowing balloons. And then the party's over, and you're like, because I love my friend so much, I'm going to keep on blowing balloons. And so it's now nighttime. The party's over. Nobody cares. You're blowing balloons. People have been chasing these doctrines that God assigned them, this Old Testament way of thinking. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled it all so that there no longer needed to be those practices anymore. The party is on. It's fulfilled. He's done it. All of that stuff is shadows. Jesus is the substance and he's come. So as we look at these things, let's break them down a little bit. Let us leave. Let's abandon and divorce the elementary doctrine of Christ, meaning the Messiah, the old understandings of who this Messiah would be, and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, as in all that stuff that you think you've got to do, it doesn't matter anymore. They're empty. They're fruitless. And of faith toward God, now faith isn't necessarily just in this unknown God. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And of instruction about washings. These are the old ceremonial washings. They had to like go through washings and hands washings and head washings constantly to be quote-unquote pure or cleansed before God. And of the laying on of hands. And this represents the animal sacrifices where they would lay their hands on the animal to recognize that this animal was dying in their place for their sin. The laying on of hands. And the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, which the Old Testament has so little explanation about. But now Jesus has come and has taught about these things. And this we'll do. We're going to move on. We're going to leave those things behind. Verse 3, if God permits. Now verse 4. This is where our author is going to bring us to a fork in the road. They can't stay where they are. They can't camp out on milk forever. It's time to decide. Let's read verse four together. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now our author is going to give us an analogy to help us understand the verses that we just read. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So let's, let's look at our analogy, and then we're going to go back and look at verses 4 through 6. Our analogy is of land, assumed farmland. And God is bringing blessing, and the blessing is the rain that is coming down in the land, and the land has been cultivated and tilled, and something's going to come out. With God's blessing on the land, there will either grow good things, good crops, or it will grow thorns and thistles. So what comes up out of the ground does two things. Number one, it reveals their heart. Is their heart surrendered to Christ? 
producing good things and good fruit? Or is it producing bad things and their heart has never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? So it's going to reveal their heart, one. And two, it's going to reveal their destiny. Because those who show good fruit as a response to the blessing of God, they get God's blessing. But those who grow thorns and thistles in response to God's blessing, they will, in the end, be burned up. Eternal judgment and hell. So with that in mind, let's look back at these two verses, verse four through six, three verses. And let's ask the question, what in these verses represents the reign of God? Now, as we ask that question, I'd like you to remember the parable of the soils. Jesus stops what he's doing and he gives a parable and he says, a sower went out and he scattered seed and the seed fell on four different kinds of soil. One was hard ground. It was actually like a path that people had walked on. And the seed just lands on top. And the devil, like birds, comes and just snatches the seed away. Never embeds into the ground. And there's some seed that fall on rocks. And because there is soil, but it's thin, it grows up fast. But as soon as things get difficult, it has no root system, so it falls over. Then some seed falls among thorns. And there is soil there, and it grows, but the thorns choke it out. And finally, some seed lands on fertile soil. And that seed grows and blooms fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. And Jesus answers the question, what is the seed? And he says, it's the word of God. So the blessing of the word of God has landed on both soils that will not produce, unbelievers, and it has landed on soil that will produce those who become believers. Now let's look at our story again. What is God's blessing? What is the rain in these verses? Verse four, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So baby Christians, are you immature because you're just brand new Christians or are you immature because you're not even genuinely saved? You're stuck. You're wanting both lifestyles. You want to put a foot in Jesus' camp And you want to to not let go of what you used to do. For them, it's Judaism. It's the old sacrifices. That's where they were comfortable. That was their old way of living. And they didn't want to let go of that. So they wanted Jesus, plus they wanted the sacrificial system and their old habits and their old traditions and their old religions. And they didn't want to let go. But that was hollow and empty back there. And so he's challenging us. He's saying... So does anyone want to answer the question? What is the rain in these verses? You can count five of them. The rain of blessing on the ground, on the soil, are these beautiful blessings. They've tasted the heavenly gift. Oh no, they've been enlightened. They've heard truth. They've tasted the heavenly gift. That's Jesus. He's the gift from heaven. 
They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've been in a community where the Holy Spirit has been active and at work. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God. They've heard God's word preached and the powers of the age to come. They've even seen miracles. And it's impossible for those who have seen these things, who have experienced these things, and have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. That's the rain. That's the blessing of God. And it's coming down on the soil. And the question hanging in the air is, who are you? We're brought to the other side of our own Jordan River. And we can see on the other side, God has laid out a spread of gifts. Every good thing he offers out of his grace, we don't even deserve them, but he offers them out of his grace, laid out for us. And the rain is coming down on the soil. And now there's a decision to be made. Will we put our faith in Jesus Christ and believe and surrender the wilderness, surrender everything else, surrender our old lifestyles, the place that we used to feel good about ourselves, the ways that we used to feel popular, the things that were satisfying or wholesome or that we put stock in to give us value. We let go of those things and fully cling on to Jesus Christ. Or... We look at all the blessings that God offers, himself included, and we say, no. I really, my sin was way more enjoyable. My priorities back then, that's what I would rather live for. And we harden ourselves towards God, rejecting God and say, I'm going to go back to my old ways. I'm going back to the desert. Slavery in Egypt was way better. Than, than to have to, to follow you into the unknown, into the scary. This is a genuine fork in the road. And we have a mix, because he's talking to what sounds like a group of believers, but Jesus gives another parable about the wheat and the tares, about a farmer that scatters seed, but then in the middle of the night, an enemy comes and also scatters seed, weeds. And as they begin to grow, they look really similar to each other, and you can't really distinguish them. And then as they grow even more, you start seeing that there are wheat and there are tares, or darnel was the kind of weed that the enemy used. And the the underhands come to the farmer and say, so should we go and rip out all the weeds? And the farmer says, whoa, wait. If we rip out all the weeds, we may uproot the good, the good wheat. So we're going to let them grow together. And whenever the wheat has come to full fruition... When it's ripe, then we'll send the laborers in and they'll take it all out and they'll divide it. The wheat to the good and the tares to the fire. And so he's speaking to an audience that looks like a whole big group and for some reason they're all immature. Some of them may just be baby Christians and it's time to get up and go. But there may be some in there that need to be challenged of whether they're Christians at all. So he brings them to a fork in the road. Here are the blessings of God. The rain has come down on the soil. Will you produce fruit or will you produce thorns and thistles? And here's several warnings. One, if you go back to your old lifestyle, if we in this room say, you know what? 
My popularity is more important. My sports are more important. My whatever, fill in the blank. My sin is more important than God. There's two warnings for us. The first warning is if that we go back, there's no hope because there's no hope in what we're returning to. Our old lifestyle will neither bring salvation nor satisfaction. And two, like the Israelites, if we reject the lavish and generous blessings of God, if we harden our hearts against him, if we choose unbelief and deny him as our sufficient Lord, just like the Israelites, he will turn us over to exactly what we want. He'll release us back to our old lifestyle and he will deny entrance into his relationship and blessings. In Romans chapter one, it gives us a great example of this. Turn your Bibles to Romans. It's right after the four Gospels and Acts. Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And it starts off in tense. Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. God is showing what's on the other side of the river because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are those who reject those who harden their hearts against them. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God to worship or for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. All the things that we want are nothing more than created things. And for some reason, we're drawn to worship them instead of the creator of those things. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So what do we have happening in Hebrews here? Those who reject, this is a mutual rejection, leaving no room for repentance. They've hardened themselves towards him by rejecting Jesus, and he has turned them over to exactly what they want. Jesus in John 15, verse two and verse six says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, talking about the God, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. And ultimately, we may be able to hide among Christians. We may be able to talk like them, put on the show. But if our hearts aren't in it, if we have not personally given our lives to Christ, we can only hide for so long. 1 John 3, verse 9 through 10 says, 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So we're not going to take on lifestyles of sin. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There was a pastor that once had a dream. And he dreamt that there was this long fence and on one side was God and what is righteous and on the other side was Satan and everything that was unrighteous. And in his dream, he was sitting right on the fence. And in his dream, God came and spoke to him and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm riding the fence to have the best of both worlds. And God responded, the devil owns the fence. There is no middle ground. There's no way to have a foot in this camp and a foot in this camp. Because for us to try to be consistent and faithful to both, we will never actually grow in faithfulness or love with either. The reality is that a lack of commitment to Christ is a full commitment to what we actually love, our sin, our old ways, the things we refuse to let go of. So these Christians, and some maybe that aren't, are unacceptably immature, and they can't stay where they are. It's time to decide. And finally, we will be known by our fruit and by our endurance. Christians will be known by their fruit and by their endurance. Let's pick up in verse nine. Oh, let's, let's not finish this just yet. Let's go back to six. Those who have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. This is, this is damning language. It's saying that those who reject Christ, reject the blessings of God, and turn to go back to their own ways are aligning themselves with the ones who crucified Jesus, saying he deserved to be crucified. He deserved to be shamed. This is why we are under judgment by rejecting Jesus, because we are placing ourselves in the same category as those who crucified him. Strong language. But there's hope. Let's jump down to verse nine. Our author has gotten really intense. He's used real severe language, but he's also pastoral. Verse nine, though we speak in this way, this intense, severe way, yet in your case, beloved, my family, my brothers and sisters, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So he's, he's laying out a fork in the road for any in the room that might still be walking the fence to try to push him off the fence, to make a decision. But he's confident that overall, he's talking to believers, things that belong to salvation. 
For God is not unjust. How do we know that they're saved? God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. First John says that if you love God, you'll love your neighbor. And if you're not loving people, it shows that you don't actually even love God. So the first way that we see that their, their faith is revealed is that they're loving, that they're serving. The fruit that is coming up from the soil in response to God's blessings is good fruit, healthy fruit, rich fruit. And it's being a blessing to everyone around them. And let's keep going in verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patient inherit the promises. The second way that faith is revealed, one is by the fruit, and second is that we endure to the end. Turn in the book of Hebrews, a few chapters to chapter 12. We're going to come back. Chapter 12. Verse 1. Now, our author has just laid out a list of men and women who showed great faith. Men and women who we should model and emulate and how much they trusted God with their actions. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since, we're, since those people are, are our examples, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What are the weights? It's all that stuff that sometimes we hold on to that we don't want to let go of from our old lifestyles. And what is the sin? It's unbelief, it's rejection, it's hardening ourselves. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endurance, pushing towards the end. Philippians 3, 13 to 14 says, forgetting those things which are behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. It's a mark of a true believer. They don't quit. No matter how much they stumble, even if they sin, they repent and they press on. They forget those things which are behind and they strain towards what is ahead. They run with endurance the race that is set before us. Doing what? Looking to Jesus. We're letting go of all the stuff we used to hold on to, all the things we found satisfaction in, all the things we found identity in and purpose in, and we're letting go of those things, and we're putting our focus and surrender fully in Christ, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The truest test of genuine believers is endurance to the end. And I've got really good news for you. It was God's miracle that saved you. We were all enemies of Christ. Yet while we were still sinners, he loved us and died for us. We were all in a rebellion. We were all in rejection. 
It was God's miracle that he saved us. And I've got really good news for you. It's also God's miracle that he keeps us saved. Whenever I say that the truest fruit of our faith is that we endure to the end, don't mistake me that you have to strain and white knuckle your whole life. No. It's God's power that saves us and it's God's power that holds us. Let me read a few verses to you quickly. John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29. I give them eternal life. Who? Jesus. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. When will they perish? When will Christians perish? Never. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You're included in the no one. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Romans 8, 35. Then we're going to jump to verse 38 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Does it say, who will separate us from our love to Christ? No, who will separate us from his love? Exactly. No one. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, in case I left out anything in my list, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not our fickle, temporary, weak sauce human life, love that keeps us saved. It is God's love for us so that all those who cry out to him, who put their faith in him, he holds them in his hand. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who's going to bring it to completion? Not me. I don't have that power. It's God's miracle that we're saved. It's God's miracle that we stay saved. It's by his power we are saved. It's by his power we stay saved. It's by his love we are saved. It's by his love we stay saved. And then he continues on in verse 11 and 12 of Hebrews 6. And we desire that each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 12, that you may not be sluggish, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What's he saying? Don't take your foot off the gas pedal. Let's put the rubber to the road. Let's start loving people. Let's start serving Christ. Let's stop camping out on the other side of the river. It's time to fully commit and it's time to start living like we're committed. Galatians 6 verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, recognize the language, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, his own sin, will reap from his flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now listen, verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let's not slow down. Let's not become complacent, apathetic, or lazy. Let's not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap. If we do not give up, we can't give up. 
We press on towards the prize for the high calling of Christ Jesus. We strain for getting those things which are behind. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Recap. Prolonged spiritual maturity may be a sign that you're not a Christian. The cause may be that you're holding on to your old lifestyle and failing to commit to Christ. You can't stay on the fence. It's time to make a decision. And there's two warnings if you choose to go back to your old lifestyle. One, to return is to return to emptiness and hopelessness for salvation. And two, to harden your heart towards God and reject his gifts will result in God closing the door and turning you over to the very thing that you're choosing. Those who are truly saved will be identifiable by their fruit and by their endurance. We aren't preserved by our own power, but by the power of the one who saved us. And finally, we can't be complacent or lazy. We must keep going. So two challenges for you tonight. Number one, I challenge you to examine yourselves. Where are you? Are you on the other side of the river and you're having to make a choice? Or have you fully committed your life to Christ? Are you putting your faith in him that he's the one that's saving you and making him the Lord of your life and repenting of your sin? And the second challenge is to grow through an immersion in his word. Right here. This is, this is where we grow. And I challenge you to love people well. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for a very decisive, very challenging, and rather painful fork in the road. Heavenly Father, don't let any one of us in this room get away from that decision, but call everyone in this room to abandon everything that we've clung to and make you the Lord, Redeemer, and Savior of our lives. And for your people that are serving you, mature us, grow us, strengthen us, and stretch us so that we can be living examples of Jesus Christ, representing you to the goodness of your glory and enjoying the blessings you've poured out for us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.